Scarlett Lewis is the name of a lady. You probably don't recognize that name, but you recognize most likely an event with which she is tragically connected. In 2012, Scarlett Lewis' son, his name is Jesse, was one of the students who was tragically and senselessly gunned down at Sandy Hook Elementary School. And Sandy Lewis became, I don't want to say a celebrity, but she became somewhat famous in the days and weeks following that tragic event because of how she handled it. She spoke of how, of course, as we can all imagine, she began by feeling very angry, very bitter. She mentioned that she was angry, of course, with the gunman and, and even others involved in the situation. But then she said that she chose to forgive, and she even used the illustration of saying that when she made that decision, it was as if she had been handed a pair of scissors to cut the ties with angerness and bitter. But she knew it wasn't easy. And she went on to give some interviews, and one of the lines that became one that you may recall that she spoke of several times in the uh, days and weeks following that was when I was asked, how did you make this decision? She said, it started with a choice, but it was a process. By the way, she was so courageous that she even was one who spoke at her own son memorial and encouraged those who were present to try to change the world, not through angry acts like the gunman had performed at Sandy Hook, but through loving acts because that's how the world is ultimately changed. But there is a great deal of wisdom in that little statement that Scarlett Lewis gave on more than one occasion. Notice she did not say that this forgiveness was easy. That's not what she said. She also didn't say that it was just some kind of one-time, 20-second conversation and everything was fine. Not in the least. She said it started with a choice, but it was a process. This was hard. I love the book of Colossians, and I really love that section that we read from a few moments ago. And If you have your New Testament, you turn to Colossians chapter 3, and those verses that Brother Sin read for us a little while ago, you'll have the outline for our lesson right there in front of you. The first couple of chapters of the book of Colossians are really uh, theological. Some people say they're very dense. They're quite difficult, really, to work through. But the second two chapters of Colossians, the second half of that book, are very practical. And they're wonderful. it's a wonderful section of Scripture. It's not that it's all easy, but it's the, the day-to-day stuff of Christianity. And in the Colossians chapter 3, Paul shares with us various things. We're going to get into the context here just for a moment to remind ourselves of where we are. Because in Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 11, the Apostle Paul tells us that there are certain things we need to put off, that we need to remove from our lives. We're not going to take the time to study those verses in depth this morning. If you just glance down through them, you're going to see things such as sexual immorality and covetousness and wrath and obscene talk and some things like that. There's others there. But Paul is saying that obviously as followers of God, there are certain things that we need to remove from our lives. We know that to be really to let God remove them from our lives, that we play a part in that, that we make the concerted effort to have those things not be a part of our lives. But then Paul goes on in the verses we're studying this morning, in verses 12 through 14, to say there are certain things that we need to put on, that we need to add to our lives. By the way, just by way of a small application here, I think just knowing those two things tells us something very valuable about faithful Christianity. Christianity is not just what I don't do. Christianity is also about what I do. 
Yes, we need to avoid evil. But we also need to be involved in doing good. And so the Apostle Paul says, there are certain things I must remove or put off. But then there are things that we're going to study in a moment that I need to put on, that I need to add to my life. By the way, it's just interesting to me that very soon after that, in the same context, he'll have some words to say about our worship in verse 16. This is one of those sugar stick passages that deal with that we sing in worship. We sing only in worship. But I do find it interesting that that concept of worshiping properly follows on a context of having the right lifestyle. That I put off certain things, that I put on certain things, and that I worship properly. And so the Apostle Paul shares with us some things that we need to put on that we're going to study in just a few moments. But before we get to that, we're going to do two things today. We're going to study that list that's found in verses 12 through 14. But then we're going to notice that in the middle of that list, Paul almost stops and makes his own application, which makes it really easy for us preachers, because the apostle himself gives one of the applications for this list. And so in the first place this morning, notice with me very briefly those things that Paul says we are to put on. There are six. Five of them are found in verse 12, and the last one is found in verse 14. We're going to just notice these very briefly. He says, first of all, we need to put on compassionate hearts. Some have suggested that if you mark in your Bible, you may want to write the phrase heartfelt compassion there. That may be a little bit closer to the original meaning. If you're reading from the King James, you have the phrase bowels of mercy. That's a weird phrase to us. But the reason that that's translated that way is because in the days of Paul, they believed that our emotions came from that part of our body, that our emotions came from our gut, our bowels. We still talk that way from, from time to time, don't we? We still talk about feeling something in the pit of our stomach. Now, we know we don't literally feel or have emotion in that part of our body. Our emotions can affect that part of our body, but our emotions don't come from that part of our body. But even today, we talk about having heartfelt emotions. We understand that what we're really talking about is our mind, not, not the thing that pumps blood through our body, not really our heart, but really our, our mind, our will and the emotions that come from that. But Paul says that we need to put on that kind of compassion. I need to have a heart that is continually touched with the struggles, trials, even the temptations of others. We are around so many people who hurt that sometimes we, be, we can become jaded to that and just not care. Instead, Paul says, keep putting on that compassionate heart that heartfelt compassion for other people. He also says to put on kindness. The original word here, and if you have an outline, uh, I provided a list there of some things this word can mean or be translated as. It can mean a lot of things that are all similar. Things like helpfulness, generosity, tenderness, kindness, obviously, uprightness, and goodness. It's interesting that this same word that's translated kindness here is actually found in several verses in the New Testament to describe the nature of God Himself. Maybe the most famous is Romans 11 and verse 22, which speaks of the goodness and the severity of God. The word goodness there is the same word as kindness in our passage. It's also interesting, in that very same book of Romans, in chapter 3 and verse 12, we're told there is none who does good. And that's a form of this same word. What Paul in Romans and here is trying to tell us is just being kind or just being good is not always easy. It's something that we must continually put on. 
We must continually add to this kindness or tenderness in our lives. We also must add humility. The Romans, who of course controlled the known world at that time, despised humility. Many of the pagan religions that were around Christians in the first century despised humility. And one of the reasons that's true is because they felt that humility was a sign of weakness. But that's not at all what true humility is. You've heard the saying before, I'm sure, that humility is not uh, thinking less of self, it's thinking of myself less. And that's the idea behind this word. It's an attitude that I don't place myself at the first of my thoughts. I don't place myself at the first of my desires. I think of others, and hopefully, obviously, I think of God before I think of anyone else. Certainly, this is best exemplified by Jesus Himself, who humbled Himself, Philippians chapter 2, and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. But it takes continually putting on that humility. I like me. We all like ourselves. But humility needs to continually be put on. And then Paul says we add meekness. We put on meekness. Some translations have the word gentleness here. And that's a good translation as well. And the basis behind this word is this. I'm not overly impressed with my own importance. And that comes out in how I treat other people. There are some who have suggested, by the way, that humility that we just studied is the inward and that meekness is the outward. That meekness is the way I display that inward humility. That may not be 100% accurate, but that's not a bad way to look at it. it it's, it's a good way of putting these two concepts together and seeing that it is a full picture that I am others-centered instead of self-centered. You know, people, sometimes even fellow Christians, are going to do things from time to time that could cause us to act in ways that are discourteous. Paul says, you put on meekness. You display common courtesy. This is the basis for that. People are always going to be unkind at times to people. But we are truly strong when we have an inner humility that shows itself in an outward meekness. And then Paul says, we need to put on patience. I love the King James translation here. Long-suffering. And the reason I love that translation is that's very close to what the actual original word meant. This is a fun word. Macrothumia. Isn't that fun? Macro meant long. Thumia, thermal, heat. Macrothumia means long in coming to a place of heated anger. And so the King James has long suffering. I think I've said this before here, but I heard, heard a man say one time, if you want a good definition of the word long suffering, you know what it is? Long suffering. Long in coming to anger. Is this not exemplified in Jesus? Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return? First Peter chapter 2 and verse 23. Patience. Paul then skips ahead, and we're going to as well. To remind us in verse 14 that above all things, we need to put on love. Now he's mentioned five things in rapid succession. But as he ends this section in verse 14, he says, Above all things, you put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. If you want to think of it this way, you take verse 12, this list we've studied, what we're going to study from verse 13, and you take love in verse 14, and love is the binding agent. 
Love is what holds everything together in this list. I can't really have a compassionate heart unless I have love. I can't be kind, humble, meek, and patient if I don't really have love. And it's not surprising that this is the word agape, that self-sacrificial love, that love that seeks what's best in the other person, that love that doesn't think of me first, but thinks of the other person, thinks of the relationship first. And this kind of love needs to continually be put on because it's not an easy kind of love. This kind of love means... I seek to love even when I don't think that person is worthy of it. Even when I think, I know I've struggled with this person in the past. When a relationship has been difficult. Even as brothers and sisters in Christ, at times we have to work on this because of personality differences, because of struggles in the past, for whatever reason. But this is what binds all of this together. Now, five of those things, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, are listed in rapid succession in verse 12. That sixth, love, ends this section and reminds us that that's what holds it all together. What's interesting, and what we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning, is that Paul, as he's writing this list, it's almost as if he just stops for a second and says, let me go ahead and give a point of application here. Let me go ahead and make this clear one way in which this displays itself toward others. And so Paul says in verse 13, that we are to be bearing with one another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. There is forgiving like Christ in the midst of this list. Now, some people, when they think of Christianity, all they think of is this. We're just smiling people. We just get along every day. I mean, everything's just wonderful. Everything's just roses and rainbows and Skittles. I mean, nothing ever goes wrong, and we just love each other, and we just smile. Nothing bad ever happens. And it's in the middle of this list in Colossians chapter 3 that the Apostle Paul says that at times we're bearing with one another. I don't like to think about that, frankly. But aren't you grateful? That the Apostle Paul admits that it's true. That there are times we must simply be bearing with one another. I love my fellow Christians. I love everybody here. But sometimes that's just true. There are times where, because of various things, we're going to at least rub each other the wrong way. There are times where someone's going to say something that hurts my feelings, or I'm going to feel slighted, or something along those lines. How are we going to react when that happens? We bear with. The King James Version says forbear. The word literally means to hold up or to even endure. And it goes back to the concept of patience. It's what it follows in this list. We add patience and we're bearing with one another. But it also looks forward to love in the list. I'm looking for the best in other people. And so even when a fellow Christian slights me, I don't think that person is trying to do that. I don't just look for a reason to be upset and bitter. There are plenty of times I've hurt people in the past. I know that. And I hope they would bear with me. And so I seek to do the same for them. And considering the rest of the verse, what Paul likely has in mind with this concept of bearing with one another is simply those frustrations, those irritations, those slights that we may face with each other. Yeah, there's going to be times because of different personalities or different phases of life that that we do something that just rubs somebody the wrong way. But if it's not a matter of Scripture... If it's not a matter of thus says the Lord, I need to forbear. I need to bear through it. 
I need it to see the best and not see to some shot at me. But what if it is more than just an irritation? What if it's more than something I think I need to bear through? If that's the case, I need to be forgiving. There are a couple of different words in the New Testament, by the way, for the concept of forgiveness. The one that's found here in Colossians chapter 3 is actually the least common or the less common of the two. It's a very rich word. And I love that Paul puts it in the middle of this list. Because this word carries a couple of definitions with it. First of all, this word carries with it the idea of forgiveness of a debt. You owe something, but you say, it's okay, don't worry about it. That's part of forgiveness. But sometimes, that's as far as we take the concept. Because this word also carries with it the idea of granting someone to someone else. It can also literally mean to hand someone over to care. Put those definitions together. And you have a beautiful picture of how difficult true forgiveness is. Because yes, it is saying, I'm letting this go. I'm forgiving the debt. But I am also going to take the other step of granting something into your life and seeking to build back that relationship. Now this is for brothers and sisters in Christ. There are times where Christians wrong one another. Am I willing to forgive that, but also to make the ultimate step of saying, I'm going to reach forward and seek to do even more. To grant something. To hand you over to the care of someone, ultimately God, but seeking to build and grow that relationship. Sometimes we think forgiveness is just the idea of, I just let it go, I just let it drop. Paul says it's more than that. It's more than that. It's hard, hard work. How do I know that? Because he says when we do that, we're following the example of Jesus Himself. The capper on this whole concept is that Paul says we are to forgive one another as the Lord has forgiven you. We're following the example of God through Christ when we follow this concept of forgiveness. Jesus forgave me when I didn't deserve it. That is certainly true. And obviously, Jesus gives us something far better to help and to heal because He forgave. But notice that word, forgave, as God in Christ has forgiven you. In the original language, by the way, what that means is the forgiveness is done. The work was completed all the way back on the cross, and it's done. Christians stand forgiven completely, fully, and continuously. If we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of His Son Jesus, literally, continually cleanses us from all sin. 1 John chapter 1, and verse 7. Yes, there's a condition there, if we walk in the light. But the work of forgiveness is done. I need to ask myself, am I following that example? of how I forgive my brothers and sisters in Christ. I know in Luke chapter 17, that Jesus said, if someone repents, forgive them. I know He said that. It's a very important teaching. We're going to come back to that concept in just a minute again. By the way, the sermon's not done. There's some more slides coming. This one's just black. Don't put your Bibles away. We're not done. <laughs> Tricked you with a black slide. Sorry. I know Jesus said that, that if he repents, forgive him. But if we are not careful, we can take that concept to this point, to where someone sins against me or wrongs me, 
And so I'm going to go all the way over here. And I'm going to stand way over here in the corner. And I'm going to lay down some broken glass. And I'm going to throw some grenades at that person. And I'm going to talk about him to the coffee shop. And I'm going to tell everybody what he did at breakfast. And then if he repents, I'll forgive him. That's nowhere near the heart of the gospel. Not even close. You ever thought about the fact Jesus didn't make you crawl over broken glass. He took the wounds for you. This is a difficult concept. But I want you to see verse 13 its entirety again. Bearing with one another. Forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, make note of it. So, you also must forgive. I actually chose to preach this sermon this morning on a Sunday when my family's out of town for a particular reason. It was, if my math is correct, I counted very quickly the other day, maybe off by a week or two, but if my math is correct, it's 103 Sundays ago, my cell phone rang. The elders here wanted to talk to me about possibly moving here. This wonderful congregation moving back here. For that, we're thankful. It took some time for some things to come together. We felt like it was a place we could serve the kingdom of God, a place we could raise our children well because we know you and we love you. And we still do. And I refused to talk about any of the specifics of what I was or was not told, but I knew that things would be difficult. But by the grace of God, we've seen a lot of healing. We give Him all the credit, all the glory, all the praise, and all the thanks. I hear about it regularly. I see it regularly. I am not trying in the next few moments to dredge up old wounds. I'm not trying to keep some hurt alive. I'm preaching this sermon this morning for one reason, and one reason only. And it's because we have some people, not just on one issue or one decision, but on a host of them, who are even in this room, who refuse to do the hard work of forgiveness. Refuse. And if I may be so bold, I would not be doing my work as a minister of the gospel if I didn't say that and tell you that people will be lost because of it. Forgiveness is not optional. So you also must forgive. But consider the example again. As the Lord has forgiven you. I know at times there are frustrations. I know there are people who think decisions that have been made were terrible or unwise. I know there are people who think that maybe I don't care about them because I don't visit enough or the office doesn't call enough or maybe they think that this group over here doesn't like that group over there or somebody said something to somebody or somebody said something to my kid. Or, I know those things happen. I know there are histories between people because there's a struggle from years, even decades ago from time to time. Maybe someone said something to you decades ago that hurt your feelings or said something to a child decades ago that hurt your feelings. For all of this time, whether it's days or weeks or 103 weeks or years, you've not really forgiven. Oh, time has passed. Plenty of time has gone by. The pain has lessened. And you may even be able to muster up a bit of a Christian smile. Oh, hi, how are you? When they walk by. 
but you've not released the debt. And you've not stepped in and said, I'm willing to work on this relationship. That's forgiveness. And I can already hear the excuses. Oh, but they don't deserve it. As the Lord has forgiven you, I didn't deserve it. And neither did you. I didn't deserve His forgiveness. I didn't do anything to bring it about. As the Lord has forgiven you. Oh, but they've done it more than once. You just, you just don't understand. And you've only sinned one time. As the Lord has forgiven you. But I don't see enough of an effort to change. As the Lord has forgiven you. I fail my God more than I ever want to. And He forgives me over and over and over and over. Listen, this sermon is being preached because I fear deep down within my soul that there are people in this room on various things some who lead worship, some who teach classes, some who are leaders in other areas, others who are members who, who will be lost because they're not willing to forgive as the Lord forgave. If you're still struggling with something that the elders did in the past, you make the first step because it starts with a choice. But it's going to be a process. Elders, if you know of someone who continues to hurt because of something that's in the past, you make the first step. Don't just let it lie. It starts the choice. But it's going to be a process. And think about it. If this person is making a choice and realizing it's a process, and this person is making a choice and realizing it's a process, they're going to meet at the cross of Jesus. Because that's where forgiveness is found. There's no other place that they could meet. But whatever the situation is, you must forgive. In Luke chapter 9, we have one of the greatest statements of determination that's found anywhere in Scripture about Jesus. All the way at the end of that chapter, Luke 9.51 says, When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, He set His face to go to Jerusalem. He, he set His face to go to Jerusalem. But did you notice that? When the days came for Him to be taken up, Jesus knew why He was going to Jerusalem. Oh, He knew He was going to teach and heal and all these other things, but He knew His ultimate reason for going to Jerusalem was going to end on the cross. This wasn't going to be easy. It was literally going to be excruciating. But praise God He set His face to go to Jerusalem. Because had he not, I'd be hopeless. I can't find forgiveness outside of Jesus. 
I can't find hope outside of Jesus. And Jesus knew how difficult this was. You remember he prayed in the garden just hours before going to the cross. If there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Listen, forgiveness is hard. Asking for forgiveness, repenting, is hard. But it's time that we made a choice. Realizing it's going to be a process. It's time to set our face. It's time to drop the excuses. And it's time to get about the hard work of forgiving the debt and saying, I'm willing to build into this relationship and point you ultimately to God. By the way, when you do, you're probably going to be reminded of Scarlett Lewis. Because she said when she did, it was as if someone gave her a pair of scissors and she cut the ties and was free. I love this church. I love this church. I love this church. We've got some people who need to cut the ties and be free. And it's past time. It's not time. It's past time. There is your reason for doing it. As the Lord forgave you. Will you come? Will we stand and sing to encourage?